I invite you to pray with me. Most gracious God, we thank you for this time to gather and to hear a word from you. Having sung songs of praise and having confessed that we are in need of you and that you seek after us. Speak to us now through the scriptures and the words and my mouth and the meditations of my heart. And we pray all of this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, like as I mentioned, we're beginning this journey, wandering hearts, following Peter. Some of you may or may not know, Peter was the founder, the beginning of the church, you know, to the keys of the church, Jesus gives Peter and he leads it off. And whenever you hear some of these Bible characters, especially the disciples, it's easy to just kind of get in this mode. We're thinking that they're like in this totally other category. Like, you know, they're, they're the ones that are up on the mosaic, on the walls of museums with the, the big halo around their head. And, you know, it's easy to think that about Jesus on a pedestal, but the disciples as well. And so for this journey, though, we're going to take a minute and we're going to humanize Peter for a little bit. Because as we forecast into uh, Good Friday, we remember that Peter wasn't so amazing all the time. In fact, Peter, of all people, was the one who, you know, disowns Jesus three times before the cock crows on Good Friday. And Peter is the one who finds himself in the, these like, pivotal moments, like next week where we're going to talk about, he steps out on the water, but then gets overwhelmed with fear and then, you know, starts falling. And even though Peter was the saint and leader of the church, he's just like us in some regards. It's hard to see them just like us because we just, they're just so distant and they're so like the stories about them and all of these things. But I've been really enjoying over the past week exploring this character of Peter and the beginning of the disciples and what this looked like and sort of the background and the context of this fisherman named Simon. Simon had a, a name that could be translated into uh, Aramaic or to Greek, which was unique. So we learned a little bit about just his name, that he's probably a duolingo uh, Hellenistic age era, right? So he knows Greek and he also knows Aramaic, which is the language of the people that kind of were, were around the time of Judaism. And what we also know is that he was a fisherman. Although I did not know until I started to learn a little bit more like, and pay a little bit more close attention to the Bible where it says then one of the boats in which he owned. So Peter, or Simon as he's known, is not just a fisherman, but he actually was more than what I thought, just kind of this like whatever guy is, gets on a boat and fishes. He was a business owner. Because to have a boat back then was a pretty substantial thing. I mean, it was something that probably was passed down from generations. And I mean, they're, they're pretty big size boats. I mean, it could fit about 15 people, but it usually took a crew of five. And so, Jesus, uh, so Peter was one of the business owners that probably brought some day laborers in to help with the fishing. And, you know, we find that he's kind of out there doing this business. And it wasn't luxurious by any means because it was heavily taxed by the Roman Empire. I mean, and not like take your money. It's like, we're going to look at the fish and we're going to take the best fish that you have and the rest goes to the market. And so it was, and you had to pay the harbor fees, you had to pay the docking fees, you had to do all of these things. And so here Peter was, this business owner, not unfamiliar with some of the business owners that we know in Kailua that have heavy rents that they have to pay, and just trying to do his business. It wasn't dirty work, it wasn't glamorous work, but it was work that was getting him by. 
Later on, we found out he has a house together with, uh, with his family, and it kind of becomes the, the nexus for Jesus' ministry in Galilee at Capernaum. And he begins to do this thing of following Jesus. We hear this story of like, you know, Jesus says, come and follow me. And we just think of the faith that was involved there in that moment. But the calling of Peter was, you know, a little nuanced. Peter wasn't so excited about following Jesus. Prior to this scripture for today, Jesus had already healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had gone and she was sick and so he'd healed her. And so he had seen this amazing thing that Jesus had done. And then when Jesus comes and says, you know, I want you to follow me in this moment. He's a little skeptical. And what does he do? He falls down on his knees and he says, Lord, I am not worthy to be able to follow you, which I feel like in some way, when I think of it as a good cop-out, right? You're like, yeah, but no, I'm not. I, I, no, I can't follow you. I'm not worthy of doing this. I'm no good. I'm not going to be able to help you in anything. I'm a fisherman. What, what good am I going to be for you? But this is the story of almost all of the prophets, It's called a call and response. God calls the prophets. God calls the disciples. And one of the immediate responses is, I'm not worthy, or I can't do it. I'm just a small business owner, or I'm just Brian. God calls us to do things in our lives, and our immediate response is, yeah, but I don't think that's me. If I were to make a phrase, it was, how has God called you in your life? I imagine many of you would have this giant question mark that was over your head. And, and trust me, I'm with you. I went to divinity school and I was wearing my uh, Duke sweater and there was two questions. I've said this before that, you know, people would ask you when they go to Duke, it's like, what denomination are you? Which was weird because I was non-denominational. And then who do you root for, Duke or UNC, right? And then the minute if you say that you were a Methodist, which I wasn't, but all of a sudden they start saying, well, what's your call story? So I started like getting in the Methodist ordination routes and they started saying, what's your call story? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what's my call story? And apparently that was the vernacular for how did you decide to become a pastor? Which is what normal people ask you, you know, like they're like, oh, so interesting. You're a pastor. How did you decide to do that? Well, the language that they have is what's your call story? And so if I were to say, what's your call story, you might have total question marks about what in the world I'm talking about. But essentially what we're asking when we say that word call is, how has God inspired you to live differently? And not just that, but has there been a moment in your life when God has inspired you to live differently that it altered the course of your career, the course of your family's life, the course of your personal lives? Has there been a moment when God has stirred something in you? And if you find yourself wondering, you know, that's okay. Peter did not realize all that he was getting himself into when he stepped out of that boat and decided to follow Jesus. And that's the journey that we're going to be on of these amazing highs and then these low lows of his life. Because the thing is, is that one of the things I've recognized in my life is I'm a pastor. And so I often get that question is like, well, why did you go into this thing? Or in like more professional circles is what's your call story? And people, I think, sometimes expect this like amazing, booming voice of God. Like all of a sudden I was somewhere and then God said, Brian, you're going to be a pastor. And you know, a big booming voice that people think of when they think of that. 
But for me, it had been nothing but the case. I had spent my time in Japan teaching English and studying more theology after undergrad. And I decided I want to become a professor. And I was literally just looking around being like, where, what school do I want to study under the people that are writing these books? And I happened to choose Duke because of Stanley Hauerwas, who was a theologian that I really liked at the time. And, and so I, I went to Duke and, you know, the thing at Duke is that you, it costs money to go to grad school. Do you guys know that? And so I tried to find ways to pay for grad school. And the best paying job there was an internship at Methodist rural Methodist churches because they had this thing called Duke Endowment Fund. And so you get paid the most to go to rural Methodist churches. And so I wanted less debt. And so I went to a rural Methodist church. And there, my pastor, uh, Reverend Donna Banks, was there. And she was fabulous and very gracious at welcoming, welcoming me into this thing called Methodism, which I knew nothing about. And so she let me preach, and she had me lead small groups, and I made all the mistakes and the failings and the fumbling in my sermons and all the things that you do when you begin that journey. And, you know, I was still set on becoming a pastor. And then, you know, one day she said to me, she sat me down in our regular meeting, and she goes, you know, Brian, have you ever thought about being a pastor? I was like, no, not at all. Why? And she's like, well, you're really good at it. I'm not trying to, like, lift me up, but, like, you're really good at it. But more importantly, you seem really happy when you do it. You seem really happy when you do it. And it was kind of in that moment that I decided to take a look at, you know, what was happening. And, and I realized I just didn't love the academy enough to keep on going in it. I really loved what I was learning, but I just didn't love it enough. And I was like, but Donna, I don't feel called and then, you know, she sent me to this, like, you know, like, ordination, like, discernment thing. And everyone's asking me, what's your call story? And yet some kids who were like, or some, like, you know, not kids, but people that heard a call when they were a kid. And they're like, yeah, I was growing up in the church in Sunday school in third grade. And God said I was going to be a pastor. And here I am, I'm a pastor. And I was like, this is so foreign to me. I don't understand at all. And I said, Donna, I don't have that story. I, I don't understand. And then she said the strangest thing. She goes, in my life... My call has been a series of God opening doors up for me. And I never thought about that. Like, like, you know, just like simply like, what are the opportunities that presented? She goes, in my life, God opens up doors for me. And I choose to walk through them because they make the most sense. My mentors are telling me to it. It just is like guided. I don't feel like this transcendent being that's like pulling me in this direction. It's in my prayer life, I feel good about this. It's with my community, it seems to affirm. And I just go through the doors that present themselves. And that's exactly what I did. I just decided to, okay, well, I'll explore this thing called meth being a Methodist pastor. And then all of a sudden, they're like, they, I go to these meetings and they're asking me all these questions. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. And then they keep on kind of pushing me through until I find myself deciding, am I going to be a chaplain at a hospital at UNC or serve a church in downtown North Carolina? And I chose to serve a church. And then my journey begins. And it, it wasn't fantastic, and it wasn't like this booming voice. It was just kind of the way it was. And I know some of you, you felt called to serve in the military since you were like two. And I know some of you perhaps knew you wanted to be a doctor or nurse since you were in grade school. But others of us, I'm imagining, have similar stories of our vocational life and then similar stories in our 
you know, family life. You met your spouse on a, a random trip that you never expected. You stumbled upon a new chapter of your career because, you know, something, you know, piqued your interest. You perhaps find retirement more fulfilling than you ever had imagined. I don't know what it is, but there's these doors that just open in our lives. And then sometimes we demean that story as if it's not as like powerful as Peter, follow me, right? One of the things I found fascinating about this story of Jesus and the disciples is I never really connected some of the dots that this ministry and this all this magnificent stuff that started in Jesus's time began with like actually just this little family unit. And, and you, you probably didn't catch it because honestly, I've done grad school, I've done all the things, I've studied this, and I didn't catch it until this week when I was looking over it, that like Peter is Simon, whose brother is Andrew, one of the disciples. And so we already have these two brothers that have a business of one boat. But what you might not have caught was that they have another boat that's connected to them by the sons of Zebedee. Well, the sons of Zebedee were connected in a business, but the sons of Zebedee were James and John. So here, four of the initial disciples, Peter, who's also called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, the first ones, were just partners in business together. They just happened to be co-owners of this business. And what we probably know is that Peter might have been married to the, son, the daughters of Zebedee, and they all kind of like lived in this compound in Capernaum. And so Jesus just happened to stumble upon this little family unit and probably was talking story with them before this incident happened because he saved the mother-in-law, the matriarch of that house. And then they decided to teach at the boat. And then he decided to be like, hey, guys, let's do this thing. I'm going to go around teaching people. Why don't you just follow me? It wasn't this miraculous moment where God calls his disciples. It was just like this little family unit that decided to follow Jesus and then they became the disciples, and Peter becomes the foundation of the church. His name, Peter, literally means the rock, the foundation. So when you look at your life, when you ask that question, how has God called me? I wonder if we look back at it and we don't think of that call as this big boom, but we think of like, how has the doors opened how has God inspired my walk, my way of life? How might we be able to tell that narrative with more meaning and more power and more of the divine God leading us throughout our lives? So now I ask the question, what is your call story? How has God called you in your life to live differently? Perhaps, it, like I said, it's connected to your career connected to the ways you raise your children, your connection to the church. What is your story? Because you might hear me share my story and be like, oh my gosh, Pastor Brian has this interesting story. You all have interesting stories, stories worth sharing and telling others. 
In a couple weeks from now, on March 3rd, we're going to have, it's our communion Sunday, and uh, just this past week, it just happened to coincide with what I was planning for the sermon, and, um, and then uh, Joy Yoon, the pastor at Kalamana United Methodist Church, which is just over in Kalo Hills, she gives me a call, and she says, hey, Brian, my professor from grad school is going to be in town on March 3rd, and he wants to do a seminar on sharing your story. And doing that in a way that inspires others. And so she's like, do you want to do this with me? And it, I know it's last minute. He just happened to be here. And he's so great. And I want to do this seminar. And I was like, I'm writing a sermon about this, Joy. This is perfect. So in a couple weeks, you can learn about that after church. I think it's going to be like 1130 or noon. Well, more details will come. But we're going to have this seminar about how you can share your call story but I'm sure none of you know what that might mean. But the more you're able to share how God has been at work in just the subtle ways of opening the doors, the more you can help others do the same. And that's when one of the things that's been the most surprising, I got nominated. So here, I I didn't grow up in the church really. And I definitely didn't grow up Methodist. And I've always felt like this outsider kind of making my way in, like no call from God on the phone or booming voice. And I'm on this board for ordination for our region, and they make me the vocational discernment chair, right? Like the vocational discernment chair. Like I'm the, I feel like the worst person to be that because I have the story that just doesn't feel like a call. I'm telling you just to op- go through the doors that are in front of you. But Ignatius of Loyola, who is like the king of discernment within the church, his stuff wasn't this booming voice from God either. He simply described people in their morning prayer time to ask a few questions. How have you seen God at work in your day? What do you think that means? And how might you respond differently? And the small group, but the class meetings that we have before church, it's a similar story. How have you seen God at work in your week or your day? What do you think that means? And how might we respond differently? They're like, it's just simple questions and they take different shapes and forms. But those questions are the discernment of God at work in our life, calling us to do something new, something different, something meaningful. But do we stop and wonder? Do we stop and say, how has God been at work? Do you think of your job as whatever your job is and as a call from God? I do. think that God has called us to a purpose, whether it's a teacher or service counselor. How has God done that in your life? Now, how has God done it? Now, how might you take that and change the day? And so if you don't feel like you have this amazing call story of the disciples, you do. This little hub happened to bump into Jesus because the mother-in-law was sick. Jesus happened to heal him and then get in one of them's boat so they could get some space at a lecture. And one thing leads to another. And the rock, the foundation of the church, Peter stands. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, 
help us see our stories as ways in which you have been calling us to live out a life of love, peace, a life of service to the world. Help us look back on our lives and find our call. Help us find new calls for the future and change us so that we might be the presence of your Son here on earth and we might see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So I thank you for our stories. I thank you for our calls. I thank you that we don't have to be perfect as we confessed earlier, but you use us as imperfect beings to do your work in the world. Amen.